Joining me today is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a Wall Street Journal columnist and author of the upcoming book, Maverick, a biography of Thomas Sowell. Jason Riley, welcome to the Rubin Report. Thanks for having me. I am glad to have you here. I thought this would be the right week to have you on, uh, not only because the doc is coming out, uh, but obviously Monday was MLK Day. There's a lot going on in the world, and I've been following what you do and what the Manhattan Institute does for quite some time, so I'm looking forward to the chat. For the people that don't have any idea who you are, who who is Jason Riley, and why is he on the Rubin Report? <laughs> well, uh, I'm a journalist. Uh, I've been uh, affiliated with the Wall Street Journal for about a quarter century now, and um, I write a political column for them, a weekly column mostly about uh, urban issues, uh, crime, uh, immigration, race, uh, economics, and so forth, and um, uh, and I'm also like you, a big fan of Thomas Sowell. Uh, and uh, I've written a few books over the years, and my most recent one is a biography of, of Thomas Sowell, which is being published right around the same time that uh, a documentary film on his life that I narrate is also being uh, being released. Yeah. So the book is coming out actually on May 25th, and we'll put the pre-order link below. The doc is actually coming out this weekend on some uh, public TV stations, and then and then streaming services and, and all that yes. good stuff. And obviously, uh, you know, I know that you know how much Thomas Sowell uh, has affected me, and I'm actually I'm honored to be to be in the doc and you use some of the footage from our from our interview uh, that we did up at Stanford. Um, but you know, you just hit on a bunch of the hot topic stuff of the day, and and as we're taping this today, it is uh, Joe Biden's inauguration. But you mentioned you talk about crime, immigration, urban issues, things like that. Now, as a Wall Street Journal guy, my audience can probably put together that you you lean somewhat right. Um, are you hopeful? Are you worried? What do you feel about the incoming administration right now on the issues that you care about? Well. Um I, I care about uh, how divided we are as a country right now, and I'm hoping that um, Joe Biden can lower lower the volume a little bit. Um, I think that's gotten gotten way out of hand, as we saw as what happened at the at the Capitol earlier earlier this month. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping that um, that that's a priority of his, um, and 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 maybe maybe he'll be able to do that. He's uh, I'm encouraged uh, by, by by some of the things he's he's done so far. Um, uh, some of his cabinet picks, um, I think, have been uh, uh, quite moderate in comparison to what we could have had. We don't have a, a you know a Secretary Warren at, at Treasury or a Secretary uh, Bernie Sanders running the Labor Department. Um, so so I uh, I am hopeful there with some of his uh, choices that he's made. On the other hand, um, you know I'm I'm quite disturbed at. The direction of the Democratic Party in, in recent years, with the rise of the progressives, um, the uh, uh, you know the sort of woke left disturbs me. The Black Lives Matter movement types disturb me, and um, the fact of the matter is that Joe Biden um, is the head of a party that's moved quite a bit to the left since the last time he was in the White House. And while he's a guy who I think is uh, spent a career trying to find the center of the Democratic Party and, and stay right there. The fact is the party itself has moved left. And so I think we're, I fear we're going to get a lot more of the um, identity politics 
that we had under under President Obama, and and, th and that worries me because he left office with race relations in pretty pretty bad shape. Uh, I, I think they continue to sour under under President Trump, but the, but they were already pretty bad when Trump got into office as a result of what happened under Obama, and I'm I'm fearful that um, that that Biden and his uh, adherence to identity politics and so forth will um, will keep us going in that direction, unfortunately. Yeah, are you kind of surprised how much Biden has embraced identity politics? Because as you're pointing out, he's not actually, we think, or at least his history, is not one of the sort of really far left, you know, the Bernie Elizabeth Warrens. It is more of a centrist, but it's pretty clear that you know, he's saying, okay, well, we got Pete Buttigieg, so we have a gay transportation secretary, and we got a trans, I think, assistant health secretary or deputy health secretary. Nobody cares if you have gay people or trans people and black people and all of these things. That's wonderful, but of course you want qualification. Are you surprised he's doing it, or do you think, do you think he's just doing a certain amount of placating them to, to then get back to the center? That would be music to my ears, but, but I fear that energy that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think he feels he has to do it. That this is where where the party is, um, and 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 if anything, uh, it's gotten worse in recent years. Uh, with I mean, think about it. We 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 just uh, celebrated uh, Martin Luther King's birthday. Uh, a man who who is associated with colorblindness. Um, judge me by the content of my character, not. Uh, the color of my skin. That is what the civil rights movement used to be about. Today, the civil rights movement is about black lives matter. Not all lives, <laughs> black lives. Say it, or I'm coming after you. It, we, we've turned the king uh, sensibility on its head. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where we are as a country, and that's where the left is as a country. And I don't think that Joe Biden feels he can he can oppose that and succeed politically uh, in the Democratic Party. So I think he's doing what he feels he needs to do. He needed a he needed a black woman as a running mate. Uh, so he found a black woman to run. Um, uh, and I think he's checking off the boxes in terms of race and, and gender and, and sexual orientation right down the list, because that is what today's left demands. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very bizarre. I've asked this of a few other people that I've had on the show, but are you shocked at the way these, these seemingly bad ideas have taken a hold of so many of our institutions and our political elite and our, our media institutions and everything else? I, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm quite concerned. Um, and, and there's so little, so little pushback. Um, uh, there's, there's the, even, even on the left, they're canceling each other. Uh, if, 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 if you don't toe the line on, on certain issues, uh, everyone from a, from a Steven Pinker to an Andrew Sullivan to a, you, you, you are not allowed to step out of line over there or the, or the mob will come after you. And I, and I find it, I find it extremely, uh, disturbing. Um, I, 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 I don't think that, uh, it's helpful in terms of, uh, addressing real issues in society. It keeps us at each other's throat, but, um, this is how, uh, the Democratic Party wins votes. This is how they gen up their base. And 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 and, and these, the, what we're going through right now with the critical race theory. I mean, I'm old enough to remember uh, when this when this stuff started. 
uh, back in the 70s and 80s in particular, but it was sort of limited to academia. Mm -hmm. And now it's spilled over into the mainstream. And we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, unconscious bias and, 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 and these ridiculous diversity training programs and, and, and demanding the self-abasement of whites and, and, and to acknowledge their privilege and all the rest. This is, I think this is horrible for the country, just absolutely horrible. And, and I think all of it will be ascendant in a Joe Biden presidency, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I'm with you, and unfortunately is the key word there. So you mentioned just sort of generally the state of race relations, that they got worse under Obama, you feel they got worse under Trump, and, and now here we are with, with this new ideology that seemingly will only make it worse. When you, when you say got worse, what? how do you actually define that? Because I find when I, the limited amount that I've traveled in the last year because of COVID, but from talking to my audience and, and hearing what people are saying, and when I do get to travel, I think most people don't really care about race. I don't think people really care about sexuality. I certainly don't think they care about gender. I think Americans, probably something like 80% of them are kind of live and let live. They just don't know it exactly. It's not the messaging they get. H how do you actually grade sort of, okay, it got worse under Obama or it got worse under Trump? Well, I'm, I'm basing that on polling data. Uh, Gallup poll asks this question every few years. Uh, do you think race relations have improved or have worsened? And uh, when Obama left office in, um, in 2015, um, uh, or 2016, I should say, um, uh, the, the, that poll answer showed that race relations were at their lowest point since the uh, early 90s. Um, so they had really, really tapered off, and, and, and they didn't improve much under Trump, at least in terms of how people were responding to that question. Now, there there could be um, uh, something in the way the question is asked or mm -hmm. framed or something, uh, and maybe anecdotally, uh, it's easy uh, to to counter that notion. I mean, if uh, you know intermarriage rates are up, uh, <laughs> you know, if um, um, uh, things like that are going on, if there's less segregation uh, in in, uh, in 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 residential housing and so forth, um, that would all you know point in the opposite direction. So it may be a way of how the question is framed. But I'm basing it on the polling, the polling data that I've read. Yeah, and then at the same time, we see interesting things like, I think it was black female support, I think doubled for Trump uh, than, than four years prior. We saw the Blexit movement. We did see some markers that things are kind of changing, but I sense now, now it could all be for naught. I, I think we saw some, some indications that there's no reason for the Republican Party to give up on the minority vote. Uh, uh, Trump improved his, his performance uh, among blacks, especially among Hispanic voters. And um, I think that had a lot to do with his focus on reopening the economy. Uh, after COVID. I mean, pe people forget how bad things were, particularly for black men under Obama in terms of employment. The black unemployment rate did not fall below double digits until the seventh year of the Obama presidency. So things were very bad for a very long time. And then under Trump, we see record low unemployment rates, record low poverty rates. We see the wages rising for the least skilled workers at the fastest rate of all workers. Things were going quite well pre-COVID in terms of the economy. And, 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 and COVID really shut all that down. And I think Trump's focus on reopening and getting people back to work is one reason he improved his numbers uh, among minorities. Yeah. So before we jump into to the doc and, and uh, Thomas Sowell and all that, um, let's do a little bit on, on the right side of things. 
Um, I think a lot of people that are watching this probably agreeing with your assessment of what's going on on the left. What do you make of what's going on on the right right now? Like, do you think Trump is going to, you know, lead some sort of patriot party now? What happens to establishment Republicans? Can they reconcile all of this stuff? Well, um, who, who knows what Donald Trump is going to do? <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> indeed, I've, indeed. I've stopped, I've stopped uh, trying to guess. Uh, about his intentions, uh, it may be limited at what in what he can do, depending on on how this impeachment process plays out. Uh, I guess Mitch McConnell has made some some comments uh, that lead some to believe uh, that he would vote for conviction. And others say that if if he does, uh, uh, others will follow suit. And if uh, the Senate, uh, convicts him in a way that prevents him from running for office again, then that could, could quash efforts going forward. I guess he could still have influence in terms of, of, of endorsing sure. people or so forth or funding of movements. But um, but in terms of personally and his own political career, that could that could probably be the uh, the, the nail in the, in the in the coffin on that. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, the quote unquote swamp is is sort of ready to just circle and, and expunge him. But what do you do with those 74 million people? I guess that's really the question. Well, yeah, he's 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 got his followers. Uh, we don't know what will happen with them. Some of them were people that were not politically active at all. He made them uh, uh, come out, come out and participate in politics for the first time. So could they go back to being inactive again? Um, some of the, a lot of them, and the left doesn't like to acknowledge this, but a lot of them were former Obama voters that he mm. won in, in 2016 Me. and, Me. and held on to in 2020. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what will become of, of, of those voters, uh, without Trump? But, you know, Yes, you know the Republican Party is worried about losing some of those um, some of those Trump voters. But I also think, and I don't know how they compare in terms of numbers, but I can say there are also a fair number of Republicans, uh, like my wife, for instance, who could never bring herself to support Donald Trump. She didn't like the way he talked about women or mm -hmm. uh, you know demean the war record of military heroes and so forth. So um, she did not uh, support Republicans while he was in office. But she's perfectly ready to go back to supporting Republican presidential candidates now. So I don't know how, how representative she is uh, of, of people out there. So, so who, who, who knows how, how, how this will play out? Um, but um, I think it's clear that the country um, may have been tired of Donald Trump, but uh, they they voted for divided government. They they shrunk uh, the the Democrats' lead in the House. Uh, we have a 50-50 Senate. Um, so the the country uh, is not throwing out Republicanism with with Donald Trump, and and I think that's something Biden should keep in mind uh, as he goes forward governing. Yeah, if I mean. In my humble opinion, if he, if he goes down the identity politics route that it seems like he's going down, they're going to get crushed even harder in two years, which probably would be good to balance things out. But Well, the, 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 I, I think you know, Obama made this mistake when he came into office, and maybe Joe Biden will learn from it. But I think um, they, they saw George W. Bush with very low uh, approval ratings going out of office, and they interpreted that as a mandate mm -hmm. for a far-left agenda. So they passed the stimulus package that didn't do much, and then they turned their 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 their, their uh, attention to reforming, transforming the health care system in this country in a highly partisan fashion. 
Uh, and it turned out to be hugely unpopular. They lost in time both houses of Congress, the Democrats did, and it turned it turned out to be a disaster. And it'll be interesting to know if Biden interprets Trump's unpopularity with a mandate for moving forward with a progressive agenda. Uh, I don't think people were, were, were uh, voted for him for a progressive agenda. Uh, so I, 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 we'll, we'll see if, 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 if Joe Biden learned anything from the last time he was in the White House. Yeah, that, that I guess is the tension. It's like, yeah, he wants to, or maybe in the past would have been more center, the energy's over here and just sort of how mm -hmm. far can that push and pull go. Uh, all right, so let, let's talk about the doc and, and Thomas Sowell. Uh, first off, when did you become aware of the work of Thomas Sowell? How did this whole project come together? Oh, well, well, uh, I first became aware of Thomas Sowell um, when I was in college in the early 1990s. I um, uh, was having some, I worked for my college paper, and I was having um, a conversation about affirmative action uh, with with uh, one of my colleagues on the, on the school paper, and uh, and another person walked over and said, "You sound like Tom Saul," and I said, "Tom who?" <laughs> and I had no idea who he was. Um, person wrote down uh, the name of a book. Uh, I went and checked it out of the school library that evening and, and read it in one sitting and, and spent the weekend reading everything else that the library had by, by Thomas Sowell, and I, and I was hooked. Um, and, and so he, he really had a big impact on my sort of intellectual development since, since college. Um, but I was already leaning more conservative uh, by the time I, I discovered Tom Sowell, which is, I found out later, is not at all uncommon. I mean, by the time Clarence Thomas discovered mm -hmm. uh, Thomas Sowell, he, his reaction was, wow, there's someone else out there who thinks like me. Uh, Walter Williams, who recently passed away, yeah. had the exact same experience. Um, uh, they were friends for 50 years, and uh, but by, when they first met, Walter Williams was already Walter Williams. <laughs> um, so you, 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 hear, you hear this time and again. Um, uh, people have found their way to Thomas Sowell, but he hasn't necessarily led them to believe what, what, they, what, they, what, they, what, they, what they now believe. Yeah. Right. So as a guy that writing a book about him or wrote a book about him that's upcoming and, and did the doc and everything, you must be just like over the moon that he's had this resurgence, this renaissance Oh yeah, with young people because when I interviewed him, I mean the amount of emails that we got and handwritten letters and Facebook messages and the whole thing saying this man transformed my life and and in many ways for me, you know, people always say to me, Dave, it seems like you've changed so much politically, and I always say, well, actually, I'm mostly the same. Economics is where I changed. <laughs> it's just econ. That's the one. Like I don't, I don't deny it, right? But the other stuff is pretty much there and, and was always there. But economics is the one that really changed. And it was because of Thomas Sowell. It was happening before that interview. But to me, that moment, that was it. That, that pretty yeah. much was it. And I, and I am thrilled that a younger generation of people are interested in, in, in Sowell um, because what he has write, written over the years is as relevant today as ever. He, he was writing about social justice issues. Yep. 30 and 40 years ago, um, and, 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 and it, he's still right about, about these things. In fact, it is amazing how long he has been so right about so many issues. Uh, you can go back and read personal letters that he wrote in the 1960s to people about how he thought the civil rights movement was going to end. Um, it, it's, it's really, really amazing um, how, uh, his prescience in that, in that regard. But in, so in terms of, of, of me personally, uh, discovering Soul, that's when it happened back in college. In terms of the film, 
Um, uh, well, I guess I should start with the book. I, I, I've been, I've known Sol for about 15, 20 years, and I've been pressuring him to let me do this uh, biography for, for some time. Uh, and uh, I knew I could do it without him. He said I could do it without him, but I wanted his cooperation. Mm -hmm. I didn't think a lot of uh, other people would talk to me um, if they if I didn't have his blessing to do it. And he finally he finally gave in and and, and, and let me start start writing it. So I started on it about five years ago. Four years ago, I got interrupted to, by someone else to write another book about another issue. So I put the soul book aside, and then I got back to it about 2018, and 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 the result will, will be out in the in, in the spring. Uh, when uh, the people at the Free to Choose Network, and and they're the ones who produce the documentary, learned about the book, they came to me and asked me if I would be interested in narrating a documentary film that they were. They were putting together, and um, Saul had a long history with the Free to Choose Network uh, through Milton Friedman, mm -hmm. one of his mentors, who did a, a series for Free to Choose on public television uh, back in the early 1980s. And Saul was participated in Milton Friedman's show, and so uh, they wanted to do a documentary on Saul. Uh, they asked me if I was interested in being a narrator and helping in developing the film, and 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 that's how that that got started. Yeah, there's a moment, I think when I was interviewed, I mentioned this moment, I don't know if it made it into the doc, but I'm sure you'll appreciate this, when uh, I finished the interview with him, and I had tweeted out right before, you know, I'm about to sit down with Thomas Sowell, you know, if, if he's influenced you in any way, send me a message, and maybe I can read a couple to him, and I got, I mean, I got hundreds, if not thousands of tweets, and I said to him at the end, I said, Dr. Sol, I, I, uh, I tweeted out that, you know, I'm sitting down with you and I just got so many of these great messages if you want to take a look. And I kind of showed him my phone and he goes with that great voice. He goes, young man, I've been doing this for a long time. And I just, I just thought it was the perfect response, like truly the perfect response, getting to what you're saying, that the things that he was talking about 30, 40 years ago, they're relevant and feel new to us now but this has been a long slog for this guy. Oh yeah, yeah, it it it, it has been, and and uh, there, there's a there's a, a lot of people think that Tom is on Twitter because, because there's a that, fan uh, yeah, a fan yeah. site, and um, uh, it's it's run by a millennial who's never met Tom. It's not an authorized site, and all this guy does is tweet quotes from past soul columns and books. That's it. Right. There's no added commentary to them. He just takes these quotes and, and tweets them out. It has hundreds of thousands of followers, which would be amazing for anyone, but especially for someone who's not on social media like Thomas Solis. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really, that account, I mean, it's at Thomas Sowell, and for a long time I thought it was some sort of official account, but yeah. every time they tweet out a meme or just a quote, whatever it is, and it's like, if he wrote that yesterday, you'd be going, man, this guy knows what's up, and then of course you find out, oh no, he wrote that you know, in 1969 or something like that. Um, well, people are, what's, what's amazing, and that's, this, this speaks to your comment about uh, how long Sol has been doing this. He, he, you know, people often say to me, uh, after I give a speech or write something in the paper, oh, it, you know, you must be very brave to, to write something like that. You know, if I write, and it's really, usually if I write something contrarian about race or, or an issue like that, and um, uh, I don't think there's anything particularly brave about it. I think of Saul as 
someone who's particularly brave. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time, well before there was a Fox News, well before there was social media support or talk radio people that had his back and that sort of thing. He was just out there writing this stuff, and he was doing it largely alone and without the support that, that many conservatives, particularly black conservatives, yeah. today have. So. Uh, that's that's bravery in my book. <laughs> what kind of support do you think black conservatives have now? Because I think you could, you could probably argue it both ways. On one hand, there is now some some defense of black conservatives. I have many black conservative friends. There's there's more out there, obviously. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not going to have to tell you all the things that you guys get called, and I don't even want to oh, yeah. say them because YouTube will delete the video. That 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 comes that comes with the territory. Yes, the name calling has always been there, but um, but there's far there's far more support. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll put it this way: the way Thomas put it, um, uh, back in the 1980s, Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams made a pact never to fly together. <laughs> Because if the plane went down, it. it would be the end of black conservatism <laughs> in America. So we're, we're a long way from that today, you know. And 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 uh, just the support I get, I, you know, I I, I was uh, a few years ago I was invited to speak at a on a college campus, and then I was uh, disinvited to speak. Um, I wrote a column about it. Um, the I, I went on television and talked about it. Uh, the, the 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 president of the university was bombarded with uh, complaints from graduates uh, and, 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 and even some students at the school for disinviting me. They reversed course and, and, and re-invited me. I, that, that sort of thing, I, I don't know that, that Tom would have ever had that kind of support uh, 30 or, or 40 years ago. Um, but, but that's what's out there today uh, for, for, for black conservatives, yeah. Do you find that his evolution as I, I talked to him about, and we had this great viral clip where I said, you know, how did your political evolution happen? And, you know, he just paused, facts. You know, it's just facts. That's, that was what caused him to go from, you know, a Marxist, in essence, to a libertarian. Um, it seems like it's happening to an awful lot of people right now. It's not something that the media is going to talk about, but it seems like a lot of young people are getting it. I... Maybe. I, I, maybe we talk to different young people. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of them when are missing I, I it, too. Rise, I know that. <laughs> when, I, when I see the rise of an uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yeah. um, the way she talks about how there's, you know, billionaires should be banned or, or um, uh, that, that sort of thing tells me something else might be, might be going on. And, and, and I think, you know, part of it might have to do with the experience. I mean, if you're a young person today, and and your idea uh, of 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 how uh, you know an economy should be growing or what the employment uh, should look like in this country was the Obama years um, uh, or shortly thereafter, um, you know that's that's your experience and and maybe you're you're thinking capitalism isn't all that great of a thing if this is you know uh, all it can do um uh, so maybe you have a skewed sense of capitalism and maybe that's where uh people like aoc come from in terms of how they view free market economics um but i i i think that uh, republicans and conservative intellectuals in general i think need to do a better job of communicating these ideas to young people i think um and 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 in a large sense they're losing they're losing that fight now the young people typically are are more left of center as mm -hmm. tom was that, when he was younger yeah uh, 
and and then uh, and then they grow up. They grow out of it. Experience uh, teaches them that another way is better. Um, but I, I do think that that Republicans, in particular, need to do a better job of communicating some of these ideas ideas to young people. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because I hear a lot about young people waking up to it. Um, so that that's my own sort of world there. But of course, the the counterbalance is and, and is Tom the popularity has of AOC, been a career. Yeah. It's been a career trying to explain these ideas. I mean, his best-selling book, he's known a lot of people for his writings on race, but his best-selling book is Basic Economics, um, which is essentially an economics textbook without any graphs and equations in it. And he takes great pride in explaining economics uh, to non-economists and everyday people in plain English. He thinks it's a very important thing to do. It's one of the things he learned uh, from Milton Friedman, who spent uh, his career after leaving academia as a public intellectual, who spent a lot of time explaining economics to non-intellectuals on college campuses and, and elsewhere. And so um, uh, Tom has taken great pride in doing that throughout his career. And, um, you know, sometimes in the academy, uh, that 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 isn't exactly rewarded. It's looked down on. Why, why are you writing about, uh, you know, for the general public instead of for your peers? But Tom uh, thinks that that is a, the proper role of a public intellectual. Yeah. And look, as we watch public education kind of crumble, it's like we need those voices that, that are going to yeah. be willing to do it. Did, in knowing him, did you ever get a sense, you know, obviously he, he wrote mostly and cared mostly about economics, but there, there's a, there is a lot of racial stuff there. Do, do you think that that was just a byproduct of the fact that he was black, so he kind of was sort of pinned into it? Or do you think he really wanted to talk about that stuff? I, I, I remember in our interview trying to ask that question in a way that that yeah. didn't seem pandering or something. No, he he reluctantly came to writing about race. And, and that's one of the more interesting aspects of his background. Tom could have spent his career uh, writing about his first love, uh, which was economics and the history of economics and the history of ideas. Uh, that is his specialty. Um, he was an expert on Marx. He's an expert on the classical liberals from you know, the Adam Smiths and John Stuart Mills and so forth. Uh, that, that was Tom's first love, writing about those guys. And uh, that's what he spent the beginning of his career doing. And he was good at it. I mean, he won high praise oh, yeah. from his peers, and he could have stayed in that lane and led a very fruitful life, teaching and writing about economics. Uh, he turned to writing about race, as he puts it, out of a sense of duty, he said, because there are things that need to be said. And the way he put it is, um, too many other people have the good sense not to say them. <laughs> but they need to be said, and someone's got to do it. And, and that is why he, he uh, turned his attention to race. And he had a pretty formative experience, I think, when he was at Cornell in the late 60s, which is when the uh, rioting occurred on campus. Um, and uh, he, was, he was there at the time. He was a professor of economics at Cornell. And I, and I think that made quite an impression on him, on, 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 on where things were headed, not just on campus, but off campus as well, in terms of race in this country. And uh, I think it led ultimately to him leaving academia and, and joining uh, the Hoover Institution, which is a think tank at Stanford, and also led to him writing more about racial issues, which is something he turned his attention to in the 70s and 80s. Do, do you have a sense of how he's feeling about the state of the world right now? I know in the last year or so, obviously, because of COVID, he wasn't doing many interviews. Yeah. We, we tried to get up there, and then we just couldn't coordinate it with yeah. so many things. 
He's he's yeah. 91, is that right? 91? 90. He's 90, so he's 90, 90 years old. He'll be 91 this year in June. I mean, it, for for 90, he is unbelievably spry and everything else, but but obviously isn't doing as many appearances. I think he was on right. I think he was on Mark Levin's show not not too long ago. Do you get a sense of where he's at sort of at, you know, in the politics of the day? I, I don't have a, a good sense. Um, uh, we've communicated by email a few times uh, over the past six months or so, but not not a whole lot since COVID. Um, uh, he did publish a book last year, a brand new book on charter schools, yep. and he did some interviews uh, for that book. So he's still working. I mean, he retired his column a few years ago, but he's still writing books or updating editions of old books and so forth. Uh, and I've seen him in a few interviews. You mentioned uh, uh, the Mark Levin show. Uh, he's done some other shows as well, and I've seen some of those interviews. But I, I don't get a sense of, of where he is, um, how he's thinking about what's going on now. I will say that um, his general uh, his, his general default position is extreme pessimism yeah. <laughs> about, about the way the world is the way the world is headed. So I, I doubt anything that's happened in the past year or so has changed that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a bad feeling. You're right on that one. Um, how was it for you personally to to get to know one of your heroes? You know, they always say don't meet oh, don't yeah. meet your heroes because it's always going to be a letdown one way or another. How was the whole experience for you? It, it was a, a pure joy to spend several years delving into uh, the intellectual life of, of Tom Soul and his getting inside of his head. Um, uh, reading, uh, trying to read everything he's ever written. And he's written so much on so many issues. And uh, he's just so knowledgeable. And, and uh, you, you know, he, several times I found myself, while, while trying to write the book, um, trying to explain something more clearly than he had already explained it in, in what he had written. And, and, and it was... Um, it was. I came across that time and time again, but but it was it was a real real thrill uh, to to and I was I was very happy that he allowed me to to to, to do the book or, or gave me the green light. It's not an authorized biography by any sense. He didn't get to see anything uh, that I'd written before it was published. Yeah. Um, but he did cooperate. He did sit for several long interviews uh, over the years and. Um, and uh, and I was I was just very 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 grateful for for, for that. I, I um, uh, I, it's something I'm I'm glad I did. I I hope, uh, you know, at some point I think a real serious scholar of economics is going to have to delve into to Tom's work uh, and and really get into the weeds, which is something a little above my pay grade because I'm I'm just a journalist. But um, uh, but I hope I produce something that's that that's readable. <laughs> I have no doubt that you have. Um, what about on the on the personal side? Because I think sometimes, you know, especially for younger people, you see these clips on YouTube of these people or you see them in the box on Fox or CNN and you you kind of almost don't think they're real people. Like they're they're just these <laughs> these things that exist. You know, they're almost like cartoon characters of yeah. themselves in a way. What did you learn about just the, the way he's wired or his temperament or just interesting on the on the personal side? Because I don't know that people know much um, much of anything. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with uh, uh, I, I use a, a story in the book to try and, and, and explain uh, Tom's personality, and I use a joke um, from an old movie. There's a there's a, an old movie called Sabrina, uh, starring Harrison Ford that came out I think in the '90s sometime, and um, uh, and and the the love interest 
in the movie um, is uh, Harrison Ford plays this very curmudgeonly industrialist. And uh, the, the family has a longtime chauffeur. And the daughter of the chauffeur falls for, for Harrison Ford's character. And she goes to her dad some one day and she says, Dad, what was Harrison Ford like when he was, when he was younger? And her father looks at her and says, shorter. <laughs> I think I got the idea here. <laughs> and and uh, it's a way of just saying Tom Soul has been Tom Soul for a very, very, very long time. And if you go back and read or talk to him about um, uh, you know, arguments he would have for people when he was in grade school or high school, um, very much like uh, the arguments he has with people today. He's, he's someone who has been... Um, uh, uh, sort of uh, ready for intellectual combat, uh, it, it seems like, since the day he was born. He um, um, is a very serious person. Um, he doesn't suffer fools. Um, but he's also a very generous person, a very kind person. And I got that uh, from uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people I interviewed. Um, Tom would go to bat with them. They came to him with a problem, with it, whether it was a, a colleague, a student, someone like that, Tom was willing to go to bat for them. And uh, so that side of him also also came through. But, um, but he's always been a, you know, a, a very um, uh, intellectually curious person and, and someone who um, um, was pretty confident of his, of his abilities. Um, uh, and you know, I, he's a former Marine. Uh, which might surprise uh, a lot of people because he's also a bit of a loner. He's not much of a team player, and I don't think those those attributes work very well in the mil in the military. <laughs> <laughs> and I know for a fact somehow he, I, he made it through. I know for a fact he's not much of a techie because we were trying to get Skype on his computer so we could do it during COVID, but he didn't yeah. want to, he didn't want to download it. And then we were going to literally deliver a computer to his door that he would have just had to open. But the, the whole. Whole other situation. You, you, you know, one of yeah, the other. He, he's he's not a people a people person in in, in that sense. He's he's worked from home for uh, a long a long time. He has an office uh, on the Stanford campus, but um, generally he, he he would go in just to do interviews with people, uh, but mostly work from home. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because right now when we all talk about the sort of lack of discourse and the lack of sort of honest public debate, and it was like for years yeah. he was debating all sorts of people on Firing Line, all, all these other shows and, and public events and all of that. And I would guess that if there, you know, I'm sure he loves the writing that he's still doing, but I'm guessing he misses probably some some level of that, the, the public sparring with some of the people. Um. I guess so, but you know, like you said, he's ninety years old. He's been doing it for a long time. Um, I think he said his piece uh, more than more than a few dozen times. He doesn't need that and, last um, knockout. He doesn't need that last round. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I remember asking him after he retired the column. Uh, we were having dinner, and I said, um, uh, "Do you miss being able to get things off your chest?" And he said, "No, there's nothing left on my on my chest. I am. Uh, I, I I think he, you know, I, Soul put a lot of thought and time into into uh, his work, and um, uh, and and that required, you know, doing your homework and staying up on current events and so forth. And I think not having to do that anymore. I mean, he mentioned uh, right before he retired his column or decided to retire it, that he had gone on a sort of photo safari with a group of fans. He's, he's, he's an amateur photographer and a very good one and has been for a long time. And he and a, a few buddies went on a 
on a, on a photo outing uh, a multiple day one. And they, you know, they didn't have any access to radio or TV for a few days. And um, he, he recalled how pleasant that experience was. And, you know, he's already well into his 80s. And he said, you know, I think I'm ready to <laughs> tune out of the day to day. Um, and, and so I, I think he's he's probably uh, enjoying it. I mean, like like I said, he's still doing the books and 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 staying active intellectually on that front. But I don't think he misses probably churning out that uh, that column or two every week. Yeah, you'll probably appreciate this when when we sat down at Stanford. His guys said he's got 45 minutes. Like he doesn't want to sit there for makeup. It's like when he gets in, sit down, start 45 minutes. So I was very aware. I did not want to take one extra minute of his time, and when we hit 45, I ended it, and he looked at me the second the camera went off, and he goes, is that all? Like, <laughs> I, think he said, I think he said, is that all? We, we just started, or something to that effect, and I thought, man, if I would have known that, I, I would have kept going, but I wanted to be respectful of, you know, that yeah. he, he's busy and all of those things. Uh, well, listen, I, I am super psyched, obviously, to watch the doc, and I'm honored to be part of it, and uh, and I can't wait to get the book as well. Is is there anything else that, that you'd want people to know before they partake in the doc or, or pick up the book? No, I, I, I think you've covered it. I think it, uh, it's, uh, I think both the book and the documentary is a nice introduction to Thomas Sowell, and then I, I hope people, uh, I hope I whet their appetite and they go read more of them. Um, because like I said, uh, and, and like you, like you said, um, he's been right for a long time and his stuff is as relevant today as it's ever been. So, um, so we'll see what happens. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Jason, I'm glad we finally got to talk and, uh, should we, should we send people to your Twitter? Should we send them to your Twitter? Uh, that's fine. It's, you can is, send it, people is it just Twitter. Jason Riley? No, there's a letter in there somewhere, right? I don't... It's, it's, it's at Jason Riley, WSJ. WSJ, that's it. Okay, I, I knew it was WSJ. in there somewhere. All right, well, it was a pleasure yeah. to have you on. I can't wait to see the doc, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care.